We're following Christ. And so let's read here from Hebrews chapter 13, beginning of verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the camp in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the, the, the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you're our guest this morning, we are continuing a journey through this wonderful letter of Hebrews. It reminds us that Jesus is better, right? Never settle for less. Never turn back. Decide to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That was the heart of this author of this great book. When we commit ourselves to follow Christ, it will not be an easy road. But it's the only road that's worth living. And it's the only person who's worth following. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. I was so reminded of that incredible privilege and the power of following Christ yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday in Washington, D.C., there was an awesome display of power and influence. An awesome display of power and influence right out of the Oval Office. Was it from the president? No, it wasn't from the president. It was from a Presbyterian. <laughs> Pastor Andrew Brunson. Born and raised a couple of hours east of here in Montreat, North Carolina. A pastor in Izmir, Turkey. Served there for many years. He was arrested as a threat to the state. 
rested over two years ago, that he was a threat to the state. He and all 29 members of his congregation. What a threat. Imprisoned for two years. And finally, just a couple of days ago, was released. And just yesterday, returned to the United States. He was welcomed, not with a ticker tape parade, but he was welcomed into the White House. Here you see his picture. And gathered there in the Oval Office, surrounded by cameras. This man asked our president, may I pray for you? And the president said something to this effect, if I heard him, I think I need it more than anybody in this room. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going there. <laughs> oh, no. And then this man did an amazing thing. He knelt down and put his hand on our president. And prayed the most powerful and beautiful prayer. You should go online and listen to it. Amazing. And his wife was there next to him. She was praying along. And they called down the blessing of God upon our president. And prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. That man doesn't look like a warrior. But he is a true hero, right? He's a true hero because he was unbroken in Turkey. Unbroken. And he was unashamed in the epicenter of the power of the world, the Oval Office of the United States. That is a hero, a man or a woman who's unbroken. And their steadfast following of Jesus Christ, unbroken by adversity, but unashamed anywhere, even in the most powerful spot, considered to be the most powerful spot in the face of the earth, the Oval Office, unashamed of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now why, and how we might say, could Pastor Brunson do that? How could he be so steadfast in prison, unbroken and unashamed when untold millions are watching on camera? I'll tell you why. Because he follows Jesus Christ. Because he follows the Lord. He follows the Lord and therefore he can stand in adversity and he can kneel at the very center of the power of the world. But he doesn't kneel to any earthly power. He knelt to the king of kings. Wow, I like that. Pastor Brunson is a lamb. He was led like a lamb to slaughter. But guess what? He's a lamb that roars. He roars 
with the message, the humble message, the powerful message of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And friends, we can do the same through His grace. We can do the same if we follow Jesus. And that's what I want us to focus on. That's what this passage is about. This passage is it's winding down the message, this incredible doctrinal message of the book of Hebrews. It is, it is coming down now to what I like to call shoe leather express. Walk it out. Walking out this incredible truth of the reality of the gospel. And so this final chapter, chapter 13, is, it's a message about being on the road. On the road where? On the road back in chapter 12 to Mount Zion. We're already citizens of the kingdom to come. But we're on the road to our home, the New Jerusalem. And on the road... We have many challenges. It's a winding road with bends and turns that we don't see from time to time. But one wonderful thing about this road is we're not alone, right? We never walk alone. We're just saying that. We're following Jesus. Friends, I want to tell you the most powerful thing you could ever do is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. The world does not know what to do with someone who follows Jesus. Now, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus? What's that look like? That's what this chapter is so about. It's one thing to say, let's follow Jesus, but what does that look like? How do we do that? And I want you to notice this morning, there are several things that we have just read that the Holy Spirit says, help us to follow Jesus. Now, what are they? Well, first of all, notice this. In verse 7, follow Jesus. We follow Jesus in the example of his servants. In example of his servants. I want to tell you, that's a real hero, Pastor Brunson, right? What an example. Here's what the writer said, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How many of you growing up, did you ever play follow the leader? Ever play that? I'm, some of you could Google it. Okay, you'll find it was a game. Actually, it was, a, you, know, you know, before you had the technology, that was, that was what we did. It was fun. But, you know, someone had to be a leader, and then that person got the whole line, had to follow the leader. Whatever the leader did, you had to do. Now, I hated that when sometimes one of the girls in the neighborhood was a leader. You know, jump rope or something like that, or sing a song. I like to be the leader. Jump in mud puddles. <laughs> you know, walk down the railroad tracks balancing yourself. Now, that was, that was living. Here the writer says, I want you to follow the leader. Follow the leaders. And in these closing verses, two times, two times in this chapter, the Holy Spirit says to the writer, follow your leaders. Now, the key word here, the key word in verse 7 is remember. Remember your leaders. And 
That can mean, yes, you recall some of the people who've been spiritual leaders in your life. But it's a deeper meaning. It means to reflect, to consider those who have been spiritual leaders in your life. And respond to them. It doesn't mean just, oh yeah, I remember him, I remember her. It means, no, reflect on that person. Consider carefully that person. And then respond to that godly leadership they provided. In particular here, seems to be talking about the pastors that have been servant leaders in the various congregations. He says here three responses that you should have to godly leaders in your life. Number one, he says, celebrate them. Celebrate them. Celebrate those who have taught you the word of God. Do you see that in verse 7? Every one of us here was taught the Word of God by someone. Someone faithfully shared it with us, the Scriptures, and how we need to thank God for people who taught us the Word of God. As I was looking at this passage this week, I just thank God for the three pastors that I was privileged to be under in my younger days. Pastor Leonard Dice, who was... The influence of his teaching, his ministry, that I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a senior in high school. My girlfriend, Susan, as a junior in high school, became a follower of Jesus. What an impact he had on my life and Susan's. And then when I was in college and seminary, Susan, after we were married, we were members of Southside Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Pastor Wald Hamford was our pastor. Thank God for him. And then seven years up in Ohio as my mentor and pastor, Pastor Richard Snavely. I thank God for these men who were leaders to me for their integrity. All three of these men, men of incredible integrity. And they were men of initiative. Even as they got older in years, they weren't looking back, they were looking forward. I always said... When I get old, I want to be like that. I want to be looking forward. And when I do get old, (laughs) I plan to do that. What are you laughing about? (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. That's important. (laughs) What's a pastor's? responsibility. He said the one supreme responsibility, they teach you the word of God. Celebrate those who have taught you the word of God. Give thanks for them. Number two, he says this should be a response, not only to celebrate them, but evaluate the leaders that you have. Evaluate them. He says, consider the outcome of their faith. Now, the outcome here doesn't mean necessarily that they've gone to heaven and However, that might be the case as you think of somebody who's been a leader in your life and faithfully served the Lord and the outcome now of their life is that they're with the Lord in heaven. That could be what this means. But probably what it means, outcome here means the outworking of their faith. Consider and evaluate the outworking of their faith. You see, God wants his leaders to be watched carefully. He wants his leaders to be watched carefully. Why? To investigate them? 
No. He wants them to be watched to imitate them. To imitate them. And that's the third response to a godly leader. You should celebrate them. You should evaluate them. But then the goal is to imitate them. Look at verse number 7 again. Remember your leaders. They have spoken to you the word of God. Consider the outworking of their faith. And then he says this. And imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. You know that word imitate there? We get our word mimic from that. Mimic. Mimic their faith. I saw this word and again, I was reminded of something that happened several years ago. When we think about the, the, the power of influence, example, what it means to mimic. This happened. I can tell you the spot that this happened. Many years ago, Susan and I, we were driving up Middlebrook. Ruth was sitting in the car seat behind us. And Ruth, first couple years of her life, she had a little pacifier. It's called Binky. I don't know where that name came from. Binky. Okay. And she'd get a Binky and Binky would kind of, you know, just settle her down a little bit and she feels secure and she'd have that. But then every once in a while, as she got older, she'd take Binky out and just jabber, 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 and then pop, put Binky back in. She'd get, she'd get in the car, she'd have, you know, Binky in, then she'd take Binky out to sing a little song. Well, one time we were coming up Middlebrook, right down here by Weigel's, stopped at the stoplight, there's traffic there, and the light turned green. The man in front of me didn't go too quickly, and Ruth takes Binky out and says, move it, buddy. <laughs> oh... I'm, I'm not looking at Susan, <laughs> but I can feel it. You know what I'm talking about, man? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that look. There's no words. It's just a look. Ought to hit you in the head with a hammer. You know, that, that, that kind of that look. <laughs> Move it, buddy. I couldn't believe Susan was talking like that in front of. <laughs> Mimic. You, how do people learn? Mimicking. Mimicking. Mimic them. Mimic their what? Mimic their faith. Now what is the faith? What is that? Mimic their faith. What, what does faith mean here? Let me tell you what it means. Mimic what they say, their message, and mimic what they do, their manner. That's what our faith is. Your faith is what you say and what you do. Your message and your manner. That's the faith. And He says, imitate those, those leaders Imitate their message and their manner because their message and their manner is to be what? Verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. To mimic those in faith is through them to mimic the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that Paul said? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You may say, well, I'm not a leader, and I want you to re reconsider that. 
Because everybody in this room, someone is watching you. You are an example to someone, maybe to many. You may not even know it. But they are carefully considering your message and your manner. And our message and manner is to be Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is our true north. He is our true north. He is, he is that fixed point for us. And our goal is to be, as Christians, is to point people to Jesus Christ. We, we're not, we should not be interested in people observing us, people noting us. We want people to see Jesus Christ and know Christ. Jesus is the unchanging one. Everyone will let you down, but Jesus Christ will never let us down, right? Because he is the same historically yesterday. He is the same currently today. And he will be the same eternally forever. He's Jesus Christ, immutable, unchangeable, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's a question for you. I, I thought about it this week. What is it about Jesus that's the, that, that is the same yesterday and today and forever? What, what is Jesus like? What was he like when he was on earth? What is he like now? What will he be like forever? What's Jesus like? Well, there's two perfectly blended qualities, I believe, about the Lord Jesus that we are to ask by grace to mimic that. And the Holy Spirit will help us to blend these two qualities. They were perfectly in Jesus and they still are. Here's what they are. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there means to pitch a tent like the tabernacle. The Logos, the unseen God, became flesh and his body was like the tabernacle. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father. And what was he like? He was full of what? Grace and truth. Friends, that's what Jesus is. He's full and overflowing with grace and truth. He is grace. Jesus is not harsh. Jesus is not vindictive. Jesus is not condemning. Jesus is not angry. He's full of grace. And he's also full of truth. Jesus is not compromising. Jesus is with integrity. Jesus is impartial. He's full of grace and truth. And the Holy Spirit's ministry is to form us more and more to be like that. That is what a Christian is to seek to be in following Jesus. A person who is known to be a person full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, when you have examples like that in your life, follow those examples. People that are full of grace and truth. 
But I want to say this to you. Be those examples. Be that. Be that person. Be that person who can say, I'm not doing it perfectly, but if you follow me, you will be following Jesus. I don't follow him perfectly. I I stumble after him. But if you stumble after me, you'll be stumbling after Jesus because that's who I'm following. Follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? In the example of his servants. And now secondly, notice this. We follow Jesus in the extent of his sufficiency. In the extent of his sufficiency. Jesus is the one and only. He's the one and only. Look at verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This, this connects the two. It connects verse 7, the true message and ministry of real leaders, and it compares that to the false teachers. Verse number 9, the warning of those who would lead you astray. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now this this is hard for us to understand. What? Jesus Christ the same today, yesterday, and forever. Praise God. Now, don't... Don't follow this menu. <laughs> what? It, see, it's hard for us to understand that because we live so far removed from what was happening. But my friend, I want you to know the principle here is the same. You see, this was written to Jewish believers. People who are Jewish who are now professing Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they had come out of Judaism, they still were Jewish, but they were moving from Judaism into Christianity, if you want to say it that way, followers of Christ. All of their lives long, they had had this teaching about diet, things that were clean and unclean. It, It identified them as what it meant to be followers of the living God. These were restrictions and guidelines that were established in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And they were put there to remind the people of Israel that they were, they were to be God's special set-apart nation. But all of that was done away in the Lord Jesus Christ by, because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ has fulfilled the law. We are no longer under the rules and the regulations and the guidelines and the dietary formulas that were part of the Old Testament. Those were all a shadow, but the reality has come to us now in Jesus Christ. And so the key truth that the author is referring to here, he says, beware of wrong teachings. Beware of teachings that try to put the emphasis on the externals. Diverse and strange teachings that emphasize food. Because he's saying physical food does not make a person right or not right with God. What he's really dealing with here, listen carefully. Because this is the principle I was telling you about. It is a mixing of law and grace. 
All over the New Testament world at that time, people were being told in the churches, yes, you are followers of Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, but now you have got to still stay under all the Old Testament guidelines and you add Jesus to those guidelines. And this was what the apostles, especially the Apostle Paul, had to battle constantly saying, no, no, The life of a follower of Jesus Christ is a life of grace. We are not under the law. We're under grace. And so the real issue here is do not let yourself be drawn into strange teachings that do not have their heart and center in Jesus Christ. My friend, listen to me. Before you become someone who is reading after an author or listening after a speaker. When God leads you away from here and you're gone to another place, you're looking for a place to worship, be very careful. Make sure the message you are hearing is full and overflowing with Jesus Christ. Because that's the message. The message is not the incidentals. The message of the gospel is Jesus Christ. And it's very easy for a church over a period of time to get on the incidentals and not on the absolute fundamental for all seasons, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Make sure, be very careful that you are not led astray into teachings that do not focus on Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says the emphasis is not physical food. What's the emphasis? Spiritual food. He says what I want you to know that you have is you have not just this physical food that's so important to people under the law. He says, I want you to understand you have soul food. (laughs) He says, I want you to eat soul food because there is a nourishment that can only come to your heart and your soul. Look at that at verse number nine says, do not be led astray by these diverse and strange teachings. It is good for the heart. That is the heart, your spiritual being To be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Then he says this, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. What's he saying here? He's comparing us, listen, he's comparing us to the priest in the temple or in the tabernacle. What's going on here? Again, you you have to understand the Jewish background here. For centuries, sacrifices were brought to the tabernacle and then they were brought to the temple. And a portion of those sacrifices were set aside as food for the priest and the Levites and their families. Okay? They were set aside for them. So actually the priests and the Levites who were serving in the temple, their food was taken from off the altar. Okay? Get the image? He says, now, we have an altar. We've got an altar to eat from. 
that those who serve in the tent, that is those priests, have no right to eat. This is the soul food. It is the food of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the nourishment for our souls. He is the one from whom we receive our nourishment. And guess what happened to that food that was left over? You see, they couldn't offer all the sacrifices. And after the priests and the Levites took their food, there was still more food that was left. What did they do with those sacrifices? Verse 10 says, The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, those bodies are burned outside the camp. All those leftovers, all of those leftovers from the sacrifices were taken outside of Jerusalem and they were burned in a sacred place. Now do you follow what he's saying here? You've got to follow it. He's saying, listen, we are priests of God. We followers of Jesus. And we have a soul food in Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can feast on him. And with him, there's all we want. There's no leftovers, though, because he is food for all. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 6. Do you remember what he said? He said, listen, Moses didn't give you that bread from heaven. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that believes in me will never hunger. He that comes to me will never thirst. Jesus said, my flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. What is he saying? He's saying, as you come to me and you receive me, I enter into your spirit, not just your physical body. No, I enter in and I nourish you forever and ever and ever. And you're always satisfied. And there's always more. Because you can never come to the end of Jesus, right? Never. Never. That's why we follow Jesus, because Jesus only satisfies. He only satisfies hungry souls. Jesus followed the path the Lord had given him. You see, we're following Jesus. Remember, we're following Jesus. And Jesus had a path that he followed. What was it? Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered. Outside the camp, just like these sacrifices are taken outside the camp and burned. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He was crucified outside of the gate of Jerusalem because no one could be put to death inside the holy city. He suffered outside the gate in order to do what? Sanctify the people through his own blood. There's the new covenant. Jesus lifted up between heaven and earth by his death, by the shedding of his blood. He has sprinkled the new covenant. And everyone who comes to him is received, Jew and Gentile alike. All who come enter into this new covenant. Jesus did this. This was the way that he followed the Father's plan. It was a plan of suffering. 
And friends, this is what I want you to see. If you follow Jesus, Jesus' path is going to be our path too. And so we've got to be willing to follow Jesus in the experience of his suffering. Follow Jesus in the experience of his suffering. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the, what's the next word? Reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. What's this mean? Here's what it means. It's a message from the Holy Spirit to every follower of Jesus. When you follow Jesus, you're always going to be an outsider. Jesus went outside the camp and he suffered. He was rejected. And he bore the reproach of a criminal. And on the cross, he suffered outside the camp. And he calls us to follow him. And when we follow the Lord Jesus, we're going to be outsiders. You see, when you follow Jesus, that moment that you, by God's grace, become a follower of Jesus Christ, listen carefully, in that moment... You begin to live in two worlds. You live in this world physically. But spiritually and as far as your heart is concerned, your life is concerned, you are a citizen of another world. And those two kingdoms intersect. And sometimes they come in conflict. They come in conflict. You see, the Bible says as Christians, we are in the world, but we are not what? Of the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And those two systems collide when you follow Jesus. Now, there may be someone here this morning, you may be saying, well, you know what? I've really never had any problems with following Jesus. I've never experienced any of this. I mean, nothing at all. I've never had anyone, anyone, ever treat me in any way that was reproachful at all. Well, friend, if that is your testimony this morning, I would ask you to consider something. Consider whether you go to church or you follow Jesus. They're not the same thing. Going to church is not the same as following Jesus. The world has no problem. The world system has no problem with you going to church. In other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters, they have to do that in secret. But thus far in this country in which we live, openly... We can go to church. And that's no reproach in that. But it's all together different to go to church and to follow Jesus. You see, if you follow Jesus, you're going to come to church. But if you follow Jesus, you're going to go out 
following him 24-7. Being a Christian isn't something you carve out for an hour or two on Sunday mornings. No. Why? Because Christ is your life. And you follow him. I would just encourage you, if you don't think following Jesus causes suffering, I want to encourage you, just do this. Begin to value the things he values. And stop valuing the things he doesn't value. Start valuing what Jesus values. And then I would challenge you with this. Start saying what Jesus says. Humbly, not with a chip on your shoulder attitude. But just find out what Jesus says. And as you have opportunity, you say that too. You're an ambassador for Christ. You speak for Him. So say what He says. Say what He says about money and see what happens. Say what Jesus says about power. And see what happens. See what Jesus says about greatness. And see what happens. Say what Jesus says about human sexuality. And see what happens. Say what Jesus says about the sanctity of life. From conception to final breath. Say that and see what happens. Say what Jesus says about the sanctity of marriage. And who can and cannot be married in the covenant of God? Say that and see what happens. And you, my friend, will find that following Jesus can bring reproach. If we follow Jesus, we will be outsiders. We we, we don't fit in any longer. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We're not supposed to fit in. Because we're not of the world any longer. But you know, there's a bigger question I have for us as Christians. As conservative Bible-believing Christians in America at this time, listen carefully to what I'm about to say to you. My biggest concern and my question is, How are we going to respond to suffering when we suffer for Jesus? That is far more important. How are we going to respond when we suffer for our faith? How will we respond? Will we take up arms? Our rights, our privileges? We're going to take up arms for our rights as Christians? No. Friends, listen. Our Savior needs no defense. He's doing fine. Peter was going to take up a sword to defend Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, put your sword back. I've not come to do that. Don't you know I could just speak the word and my father would send ten legions of angels. I'm fine, Peter. That's not how my kingdom's going forward. My kingdom's not going to go forward by my followers 
taking up arms. My kingdom's going to go forward by my followers taking up my cross. That's how my kingdom's going to go forward. My lambs, my lambs, I'm going to lead them to places. It's going to be like slaughter. Their reputations are going to be slaughtered. Their names are going to be slaughtered. They're going to be vilified and humiliated. And even worse, maybe jail and maybe suffering, they will take up my cross and my kingdom will come. My kingdom goes forward. Friends, we are lambs that roar. And what's our roar? An election? What's our roar? Our roar is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to deliverance. It is the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. The power of God is in that message. And it reaches to the deepest hell. That's the power of God. That's what punches holes in the darkness. Its holes are punched in the darkness by followers of Jesus who can stand in prison, unbroken, and kneel in the Oval Office before their king and master and invoke the blessings of God on people who maybe do not deserve it. And did any of us ever deserve God's blessings? What a pulpit Pastor Brunson had yesterday. To me, that was just, it was like the Lord, I don't even know how to tell you this. It's like the Lord saying, this is it. This is where the victory is. is. The victory that I'm really bringing to this earth is not before a judiciary committee. The victory that I'm bringing to this earth is not before the United States Senate. The victory that I'm bringing to this earth is the power of my gospel, me, to cause people to suffer for righteousness' sake. And they glorify me and the world is amazed and drawn to me. That's that's my call. Friend, there's no pulpit like that. There's no pulpit like that. To me, that was so powerful. A humble brother from North Carolina kneeling in the Oval Office, putting his hand on the President of the United States. That's where it's at. That's it. We need to get our mind right. We follow Jesus in the example of his suffering. And then we follow him in the experience and the expression of his service. And I'm done. Through him, let us continually, verse 15 I'm reading, offer up a sacrifice of praise. Look, we're we're priests again. (laughs) 
We're offering sacrifices. What? Not animal sacrifices. Those are done. Our lives are what? Living sacrifices. And we're offering up sacrifices of what? Praise to our God. Isn't this beautiful? Look at verse 15. What's the sacrifice? Praise. What's the altar? Our lips. His praise on my lips. That's the sacrifice. Worship. Let us worship God and let us live for the welfare of others. Verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. You see this? When you do good to others and you share with others, you are offering a sacrifice to God. It's pleasing to Him. What is it God wants? He wants us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody who comes in the circle of your influence. You do good. You share. This pleases the Lord. Oh, friends, what a blessing to follow Jesus. Amen? And as we follow him, you know what? We never walk alone. 